Turn your Bibles to Psalm 37. As we just sang that song, you recognize at the end of that there was a verse there, Psalm 37, 23, and 24, which when you see that, you're kind of going, oh, wow, this is a larger psalm. This is uh, a larger psalm. We are not going to go through all of it just because of the length of it, but also because of the material that's uh, here in the first part that we just need to concentrate and zoom in on. And it will help us as we look at then the full passage next week. When you look at the Psalms, uh, the 150 Psalms that we have, uh, they cover a time span of almost a thousand years. You have some of the Psalms that are written by Moses. We have some that are written by Solomon, some by choir directors and some by um, the majority of them by David. But you even have psalms that are written during the Babylonian captivity. And so you have almost a thousand years that the psalms cover. You say, well, how are they organized? Well, it wasn't organized in this way where David would write and he goes, okay, this is Psalm 1. This will be Psalm 2. This will be Psalm 3. No, that that is not how David wrote it. In fact, you look at uh, the way that it's arranged in our Bible. Sometimes you look, the titles of the Psalms actually have the stories they're connected to. And you're going, you know, even the stories aren't in order uh, as far as chronologically. More than likely what happened was uh, the way that we got our 150 Psalms together and the way that we did was that uh, probably Ezra uh, had a role in this along with the priests as they came back and restored the temple worship uh, after the captivity that they organized all 150 of these. Uh, the first two being the important ones because they're the doorways to get into the psalm uh, there as far as understanding the details of it. But as you go through, there wasn't a sense that the organizers being moved by the Holy Spirit did not come up with uh, the arrangement in chronological order, but they came up with it in, I would say this, thought order, idea order. So if you read one psalm, you can probably go into the next psalm and see something in the previous psalm that is in the next psalm. Not the whole theme of it, but something that is a connect point and the like. And that's what we have with Psalm 36 and then Psalm 37. We looked at Psalm 36. We'd come back to our study in the Psalms after being away for that for almost a year. And Psalm 36 just starts off with that emphasis in the first four verses of just what wicked people look like. There's no statement other than just this is what wicked people are like. And then you all of a sudden have this statement uh, that even though the abundance, uh, the, the wickedness might seem abundant uh, that the wicked person is doing, there's an overabundance or a superabundance of what God is like. His goodness, his mercy go up to the heights of the heaven and the stars and, and his justice and judgment is as low as the deepest seas. I mean, the, the ways that they would have described uh, something being so high and so low in that culture that God uh, goes beyond the abundance of the wicked with a superabundance of his goodness. And as such, we closed off the psalm with the fact that we ought to pray. Because we have a God who is uh, abundant in all of his ways. We can go to him. It's a call at the end of Psalm 36 to deal with that. But Psalm 37, when you get to it, 
seems to just continue the issues of Psalm 36. We weren't really told this uh, when you start off with the wicked, then you had the abundance of God, and that you ought to pray uh, to this God, even though you may be frustrated with the wicked. What Psalm 37 opens up is the fact that the psalmist is really upset by the wicked, frustrated, and it details over and over again the fact that there's this frustration with the wicked and as you read this psalm and we're not going to read all of it today but as you read through it and even prep for next week you're going to find that the wicked play a major role in the psalm you go through it and as you see the different verses uh dealing with uh, the wicked uh, it is something that comes up some 13 times through the Psalms where this person is mentioned. There's other words that connect with it, and it's over and over and over again. Psalmist in Psalm 37 is just upset by them. But not only that, it, there is to be, it seems to be, that it's not that these are people who are complete pagans that he's upset by. When you read about this, this is people who are living in the land. David was writing as an Israelite. Uh, he's the leader over the 12 tribes uh, of uh, Israel. And as you read through this, the, the psalm talks about the land and having peace in the land and all of this. And one of the things that seems to be going on, that even though this is a land filled with individuals who would claim the name of God and, and uh, be this way, that it's filled with people who are acting like they don't know God. In fact, they don't care about God. And, and that seems to be the real disturbing part for is the psalmist as uh, you go through the psalm, is that there's these individuals who are prospering in the land and doing well in the land, but they're not doing right. They refuse to do right. They delight in evil. They, they uh, desire uh, and uh, meditate on how to do wrong and how to destroy others. Uh, they want to do this. And so when seeing this, when the psalmist is in the land, but it's filled with wicked people that make life difficult and are doing things to hurt others and hurt the psalmist themselves, there is a frustration that comes up. Perhaps an anger that we might describe it, and the psalmist is having to deal with that. To give instruction on how you deal with that in your own soul when you're frustrated at the prosperity of the wicked, when it, you see your state and you are suffering, going through difficulty, there is the human emotion that is a part of uh, response to this type of thing that can destroy an individual. And this evening, what I just want us to go through is the first 11 verses of this psalm and have this as the theme. It's pretty easy to remember. It's pretty hard to do. Stop getting worked up about the wicked. Stop getting worked up about the wicked. With that being the theme, let's just uh, go through this psalm to verse 11. I, I, I'm going to tell you this. This is a teaching psalm. You go, how do you know that? Uh, in the Hebrew, it's an acrostic. 
every two verses basically, not quite uh, that pattern, but every two verses, they start with a letter of the alphabet. So the first two, letter A, first, a second two, or two verses, letter B, and you go through. Uh, this is a way that the Jews tried, you, tried to get people to memorize this. And so this was intended, this psalm was intended to teach people about these very things that we're talking about and give them a framework a rote framework in the sense of memorizing it, but then practicing it uh, of what they see here. But let's start with verse number one of Psalm 37. It says this, Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth or the land. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The first point that you come up with and come right face to face with in verse number one is this idea. Don't burn yourself up about evildoers what you see as you go through this section that we read these uh first 11 verses you see a word used that's not very commonly used throughout uh, the hebrew and it is the word fret you see it in verse number one you see it again in verse number seven in the middle it says fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in verse eight says this, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Now, before I give a definition of this word fret, I'm going to give you an illustration. And it's something that uh, when I was young, it made an impression on me when I read about this and saw uh, the pictures. Back on June 11th of 1963, there was uh, a photo or a set of photos that was taken that shocked American culture. It was uh, pictures that had been taken over in Vietnam. The, the pictures uh, there were, I mean, the, the, the situation in Vietnam was not yet a major war going on between uh, the North and the South. Uh, there was incursions and things like that going on, but it was 1963, JFK was still president, they hadn't upped all the soldiers going there as part of what was going on, but there was still tension there. Vietnam had a leader that um, 
was supported by the U.S. government, but was not a very nice leader. He was a man who uh, was dictatorial uh, at best in some of his policies. One of his policies was this, is that he really didn't like Buddhists. He's saying he's from that region of the world where Buddhism is a major religion. He didn't. And it uh, was something where he would allow parades for uh, Catholics to do certain things in the country there. And then the next day, uh, there would be a parade for Buddhists and they would bring out their banners like the, the Catholics did and they would immediately be arrested and sent to jail. And so there was a lot of frustration on the parts of the Buddhists uh, in that country. And they were frustrated because they really didn't know what to do. To them, they had a corrupt leader, uh, one who was uh, not uh, going to deal fairly with them. And so they called up a journalist, an American uh, journalist photographer that was there, and told them to meet in a certain location because something spectacular was going to happen that day. So on June 11th, uh, this uh, man showed up to just to be a news reporter and all these Buddhists lined up and they put some vehicles up uh, surrounding them. Wasn't really sure what was going to happen there, but uh, pretty soon they marched uh, an older man out to the middle there and he was in the garments of a Buddhist uh, monk there. And uh, he was brought out there by others uh, there and they had him sit down cross-legged and they began pouring something on him. They poured gasoline on him. Aviation fuel was what they poured on him. And, and uh, the reporter suddenly realized, this is, what are they doing? And he started pulling, pulled out his camera and started taking pictures as fast as he could of what was about to happen. And sure enough, what they did is that they lit this man on fire. And he has the pictures where this man burned himself up. He's sitting there in the middle of the asphalt and the street there, and he burns himself up. Nobody does anything. They had blocked off the fire trucks because the fire trucks were going to come and help put this out. And they had blocked the fire trucks off because this man wanted to burn himself up. It shocked Americans. It took uh, 15 hours for the pictures to get over. Some of the newspapers didn't print it, but they were just in shock that somebody would protest in this fashion, that they would burn themselves up and destroy that. In fact, the impact of it was is that the policies of the Kennedy administration was changed as a result of seeing this, and they sent more troops as a result of some of these things because they thought there needs to be something going on there that we're helping out to keep law and order that people aren't burning themselves up. Now, I give that illustration because that is what that word fret means. It's the idea in other passages of kindling uh, something and starting it up, but this word in this context and in this passage, the tense of it is such that it's saying this, don't burn yourself up, or this, don't set yourself on fire over this. I mean, for us to see pictures like that and see somebody do something like that is very disturbing, shocking. Somebody be willing to do that, not forced to do this, but willingly burn themselves up. But the fact is, is that individuals and believers can burn themselves up because they're frustrated 
with what they see in the world around them, the prosperity of the wicked or the, well, what they seem to be doing is succeeding and you're not, and it burns believers up. The psalmist here is part of the teaching. Three times he does this right from the start. He just simply says, you don't do this, which suggests the fact that people do this all the time. Believers do. And so when you see this, the idea is that you can get so passionate and so frustrated fly into this and burn yourself up when the wicked seem to go away that you destroy yourself and you're not destroying anybody else i mean think about this when that man set himself on fire did he do damage to anybody else no he just did harm to himself that's correct so it is when we set ourselves on fire what are we doing? We're not hurting the people that we're upset with. We're not uh, doing damage to them. It's damaging us to the point of making us completely unuseful. And so the psalmist, right from the start, recognizing the, the fact that people can be this way, puts it in command form, doesn't even suggest it. He just says, stop doing this. Stop setting yourself on fire, kindling yourself a passion inside of you that only destroys yourself, damages yourself, and does no good to anybody else or damage to others that you might want to target. In looking at this, we had uh, just uh, reminded of this, and so it was kind of connected for me. We were looking uh, this week on Wednesday at Job chapter 3. And as you go through Job chapter 3, you've got uh, Job who is suddenly giving voice to his anguish. He's been silent for seven days. He's lost his children. He's lost all of his possessions. He's lost his health. And he gives voice to his anguish. And there's this statement he keeps making. It's why, 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 why? And we dealt with that in Job, that's probably not the good question to ask because we're probably not going to get it answered. Okay, we are human beings. We, we want to know why this is the case. In this case, the psalmist has got a situation here where individuals are mad because they aren't prospering, but the wicked are. And so there's this why that just burns at their soul. But the fact is, as uh, you read uh, through the story of Job, he finally starts asking the question that he should. It's the who question. I mean, who's in charge here? Who's responsible? Who is the one who's allowed this? Uh, should I focus on him? And ultimately, the question is, what next for me? That, that's really the, the answer to suffering is not, uh, okay, I'm going to burn up over the fact that I feel like somebody else is doing better because that was Job's case. He was questioning the prosperity of others. How can they be prospering and I'm not? It doesn't seem to be fair. 
And so there are many believers, even today, I mean, human nature, as we talked about on Wednesday, it hasn't changed over 2,000 years or 4,000 years or 6,000 years. We have the same passions. We have the same uh, emotions. Uh, we have the same kind of thought process that, that go on. And we can be like this when we see individuals that are, well, doing better and we think they shouldn't be. We can get burned up over it. So this first statement, don't burn yourselves up about evildoers or about others. This is something that David was really trying to get across these people. Now, it's going to be that he's not just simply going to say, don't do this. He's going to give reasons or solutions to being upset being frustrated with people like this especially wicked people and what you have in the these first 11 verses is just simply the this, the the cause statements or not cause statements results of uh, the fact of not fretting and doing what you should be doing here's what you ought to be doing one of the things that you ought to be doing is this instead of looking at right now look ahead to the end Okay, instead of looking at the right now, look to the end. As you read through this, you find, especially in verse 2 and verse number 10, you find what the end of the wicked is going to be. It's generally stated. But the wicked are like this. Uh, verse 2, for they soon shall be cut down like the grass and uh, grass and wither as the green herb. People living in the land of Israel would have known what this was like. If you go to Israel in the months of January, February, and March, it's a wonderful place to be. Everything's green, lots of flowers, uh, uh, things are blooming and, and the like. You show up in May and June, those same things are brown, twisted, and burned down everything's withered everything's dead you go why because it's 110 to 120 degrees and no rain for these believers what they were supposed to just see is that illustrated by life around them that they would see that though there are things that are green and healthy right now give it a little bit of time and what happens they're going to burn up themselves that's what the wicked are going to be like though they are healthy right now in the end they're ultimately consumed by the fire. They're going to be judged. Verse 11, actually verse number 9 uh, here, for evildoers shall be, what? Cut off. You know, what do you mean they're cut off? The, the initial idea is they're going to be cut off from the blessings they have right now, the good they have, but ultimately they're cut off from the one who gives all good things that's ultimately what's going to happen to them they may be enjoying the mercies of god and the grace of god right now but what's ultimately going to happen to individuals in the end that are wicked who don't care about god though they seem to be prospering right now they're going to be cut off from god their only source and hope of mercy their only source of hope and grace in some ways, uh, an individual shouldn't be upset with the wicked. You ought to feel sorry for them because of their end and where they're headed. 
I mean, verse 10, for yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be, yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be, uh, using the illustration of the land of Israel uh, there, that you have these people who are prospering, but give them time, and you'll be able to go by their house, and you'll see that it's just as empty as any other abandoned building would be, because they're going to be judged. And so instead of looking at the now, or looking at the now, look to the future. One has said this, and it's a statement that I don't think it was put out by a Christian, but here today and gone to tomorrow. That is the state of the wicked. They may be impressing everybody today, but they become a side note and forgotten years afterwards. And so when you see this, instead of looking at the now, look ahead to the end, you aren't going to be upset because you're not going to be envying their end. You read the scriptures and what the eternal state of individuals who are wicked, you're not wanting that. That's not an enviable condition. That's not something to get upset by. And so for a believer to get you to stop fretting, just simply consider the fact of what the end is for each group. Followers of God, with Him forever, enjoy His presence. Wicked, cut off from God's grace and mercy forever. His love. I mean, a person like this is going to have uh, the fact that they are going to have peace. I mean, look at verse 11. When you look at the end of the righteous person, the meek shall inherit the earth sounds like what the lord said in the beatitudes people you wouldn't expect to inherit things you know the meek sometimes people equate that with weak but a meek person is not using the strength that they have to gain advantage over other people and you would say well if you're going to gain property and gain land and gain privilege and opportunity you got to step on other people and and get ahead in life and and it's all about you and the fact is is here you look at it, the meek shall inherit the earth. There's a reversal. God gives a blessing to those that are meek. And they shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And the, 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 the abundance of peace there, it's a, the abundance of, it's hard to, to bring it out in our language, but the abundance of pieces, okay? It's plural, and that and you think about the end state for a believer when they're in heaven and in glory and there is a, a place that you're going to where there's no sickness, no sorrow, no dying, none of those things. Uh, the things that upset peace in this life are gone. Every time and all the time because there's not day or night there in heaven, uh, but all the time you're enjoying more blessings of peace with being with God. So for a believer, we could get upset presently if there's individuals that uh, we know, we work with, are surrounded by, that seem to be getting away with things and it frustrates us and burns us up. You ought to just simply go, I feel sorry for a person like that. Because I see what their end is going to be, but I can also take comfort in the fact that this seeming bad thing that's going on in my life is not going to be eternal 
It's not going to last forever. So instead of uh, looking at the now and being burnt up by that, look ahead to the end. Secondly, you see this, instead of looking down, look up to the Lord. This is what you have in that center section where it starts off in verse number three, trust in the Lord. Or as it says in verse four, delight thyself in the Lord. Or verse number five, commit thy way into the Lord. Trust also in him. Verse seven, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Right in the middle of this, he just simply says, you've got your focus on the wrong person. You've got your focus on the wicked when it should be on the Lord. What you find uh, in this passage that there is uh, not only the fact that there is this idea of trusting in the Lord throughout, but there's just a, a resting in Him. Now you look at these things, trust in the Lord, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily shalt thou do. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. There is a, a faithfulness and a faith that will not be moved. Sort of like what we saw in the story of jo Joseph this morning and we've seen in the last couple of weeks where you got an individual whose circumstances are not pleasant, but his faith is unmoved in God. He could look down at all the things that are going on around him, but he's got an upward look at God and he's focused on that and he is finding his delight, his comfort, his rest in looking to the Lord. I do need to make a statement here as you look at this, delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. That's a passage that's oftentimes misquoted because it's missing the context. Because people will quote this and go, if I just trust in the Lord, he'll give me whatever I want. Well, that's not what it's saying there. In fact, if you, if you read the word, it's not trust in the Lord, it's what? Delight yourself in the Lord. The idea of this is not just merely, okay, I'll focus on him. No, I find my greatest joy in knowing God and knowing things about him. I mean, this is what the, the psalmist starts off with in Psalm 1. Is, uh, it's talking about this person who's the blessed man, and it makes the statement, his delight is what? In the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate both day and night. Uh, this is an individual who is just delighting and knowing about God. He's fascinated by God. He's, it brings him joy to learn something else about his God. And, and a person like that is not one, okay, if they, they're studying God and delighting in him and know all about him, guess what? They're probably not going to be asking for things that are selfish, self-centered, just a passion of the present moment uh, and whatever. No, what they're going to be asking for, that idea that um, the desires of your heart, uh, the, the word desires there is the requests of your heart. 
You say, what's the request of this individual? Uh, the request of this individual, as you read through the psalm, is that they dwell in the land and they dwell at peace. They'll find the things that they have been desiring in that way because they're looking to the one who actually gives peace and brings joy. And they find their delight in him. So one of the ways for individuals not to be upset by what's going on around them and frustrated with circumstances that are beyond their control is for them to focus on God. You say, how do you know that? We know this in the illustration of Job. Job, uh, as we will get to in, in Wednesdays, uh, he is frustrated and he's fighting with his friends that are there to comfort him, but pretty soon they become his enemies because they're making life miserable because they're trying to convince him that he's done something wrong and he's going, I haven't done any of these things and they keep saying you have and there's this fight that goes on. They finally wear themselves out with words. They can't say anything else. And finally, a character that we don't even know about, a man by the name of Elihu who sat through the whole thing, gets up and starts making statements about God. He's, he's God's defender. He's not, he's not answering the situation that Job has uh, and the like. He's just talking about God. And what happens is that there's this storm that's coming, and he keeps referring to the storm that's coming, the lightning and the clouds and the rain and the, the, the snow that's even coming out of this. And he's referring to this as the storm gets closer. And then you get to the end of Job there in chapter 37, 38, and you have God show up. And God speaks for the rest of the book. And you go, well, what was wrong with Job? Job got his attention off of who God was and what he's capable of. Delighting in the, and being amazed by what God could do. And when God is talking to Job, what is he saying to him? Were you there when I created this and I did this and that I can control these things and whatever else? What, what Job's supposed to be doing is looking at his God and finding amazement and awe of God. This is the Old Testament way of saying the fear of the Lord there's a, an, an awe of God. And so for believers, we can oftentimes look and focus in on uh, things that we cannot solve and people that we can't fix when we should be focusing our attention on the one who's the answer to everything. And so right in the, in the middle of this uh, section where he's saying, don't focus on the wicked, look at their end, don't focus on circumstances that you're in and, and have a pity party, but look to the Lord. Find comfort in Him. Look to Him. Put your trust and confidence in Him. But you also see this. Well, let me stop for a second. Verse 5 is a, a verse that has a New Testament flavor to it. That idea of commit is the idea of roll over or to cast. And we have a verse in 1 Peter 5, 7 that says, casting all your care, and the word care there is the word for anxiety or worry. Cast all your cares upon Him. Why? Because He... He cares for you. 
I mean, that's really what the psalmist is challenging with, is that you just take these things and give them to God and roll them over on Him. Let Him be the one who's burdened with it, not you. You can't solve it. You can't take care of these situations in the world. Uh, and to be honest, if you did try and take care of those situations, more than likely you would sin in the process of getting them solved. You'd do something to hurt somebody else. You'd steal from them. You'd lie about them. Uh, you might even murder them. You go, I wouldn't do that. Well, people have when they've been upset and burned up about certain things that people are doing. But a believer should just simply commit or cast uh, their way, their course in life, give it over to the Lord and say, you're the ones in charge. You can take care of this. You can handle this. It's not my burden. It shouldn't be my burden. And so for the believer, instead of looking now, down, look up to God, but also this. Instead of looking at evil, look to do good. Be the contrast by actions and activities to what the world is doing. Those things that those individuals do that frustrate you, you reflect what God is like to them. I mean, in the midst of these statements, trust in the Lord, and then in verse number three, trust in the Lord and what? Do good. Sounds like a New Testament admonition from the Lord where it talks about the fact that if someone you know, smites you on one cheek, you turn to them the other. If they say a soldier commands you to go one mile with them, you go two. I mean, you go out of your way to reflect good upon them in fact the new testament talks about the fact of doing good to individuals that are doing evil it's like casting coals of fire upon their head it's something that they weren't expecting back when you're responding to them with good uh, you have this trust in the lord do good uh trust in the lord uh at verse five uh, uh, commit thy way into the lord and trust also in him rest in the lord and wait patiently for him. Or in verse number 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. I mean, there's an action to that, that you just go, I'm, I'm putting this aside. But you live your life as a direct contrast to the very thing that burns you up, that upsets you. You reflect what it should be like, how those things should be going. And so if you're focusing on the Lord, you're going to reflect what He's like. And so what you do is that you simply press on with what you are doing in faith and obedience, and you just do right. Instead of saying, well, those people are doing evil there and stew about it. No, you go out and they're doing abundance of evil. You go out and do abundance of good. Reflect what your Savior's like. Reflect what your God is like in your character uh, and do this. I mean, this is kind of a constructive statement in comparison to what we've talked about to this point. But it is uh, that uh, we can not add to the evil that's going on but that we can bring good. We work righteousness uh, that is there. And look at verse number 6. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him. He shall bring it to pass. Verse 6. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. 
say, what is that saying there? What God's going to do is if you're doing, you have your focus on Him and doing what's right, it's that He will be able to magnify that kind of a testimony. Your deeds will be like in the middle of the day so everybody can see them. Uh, It'll be a testimony. God will do that. Give opportunities for that. The wicked have, it seems like everywhere you go, they have the noonday sun shining upon them. All their activities are broadcast everywhere in the world. But if you're a person who's reflecting on God, He will bring your righteousness and put you in a place that will magnify Him. Your righteousness, your good deeds, and your judgment, okay, your justice, your fairness, your goodness will be displayed as the day. And this psalm is one that just is not, uh, we haven't dealt with much, but it is something for us to consider. I mean, I, I could go, okay, I want you to go around and tell me, you know, we're going to have a hand, who, who has upset you this week, you know? And if we were honest, I could get you to say, who's burned you up this week? What burned you up this week? What upset you? Who upset you? Uh, what group upset you? And I find at times as Christians, even when it comes to political things and the like and all of these things, we can get really burned up. And we waste a lot of energy. That's unneeded. And we're only doing hurt to ourselves because we're upset about things in the political realm. And guess what? I hate to tell you this. Most of the politicians don't care what you think. They're going to do what they're going to do. And you can get upset all you want, but they're going to go ahead and do what they want. And you can let that stew in your own soul that they're getting away with this and they're doing this and all of this and it makes you mad and the like. And you burn yourself up when it should be that you're just simply saying, I feel sorry for people like this because I kind of know where they're headed. I know where I'm headed. I'm, I'm settled in that. But they have no idea what they're headed for. And these individuals uh, are, well, trusting in themselves, but I don't have to trust in myself. I don't have to solve all my situations myself. I've got the Lord to look to. I can look up. And, and in the area that I'm at, the place that I've been put by the Lord, I can just simply do what's right, right where I'm at, and reflect a testimony for Him in the areas and the places that I'm at right now. Something I may challenge, or may challenge you, I want to challenge you with is that as we head into next Sunday, read through the rest of Psalm 37. And then also do this, read another Psalm too. Read Psalm 73. Okay, so 37, 73, just flip the numbers, you got the, the Psalm. Psalm 73 is, uh, the psalmist there is just simply writing the descent that he had when he did get mad at the wicked. It's, it's actually detailing the whole process of him getting lower and lower and lower and lower as he was frustrated with the wicked. But there's a changeover point. You go, what's that? It's when he went into the temple and he saw God. And then everything changes after that. Uh, this is uh, Psalm 73. It's kind of a companion psalm to this. But we can... Spend a lot of energy, a lot of time being upset. 
They can be angry about things, and the fact is, is we shouldn't. It's only doing damage to us. It, we have people around us that sometimes are collateral damage to the damage we cause to ourselves by being upset by what people do. But the fact is, is that we should not burn ourselves up. We don't have to. We don't need to. We're wasting needless energy, time, that we could be using it for something else. Bringing glory to our God. Reflecting His character. So, if you can think of somebody that is upsetting you or somebody who has, then this is a passage for you. Don't burn yourself up. Lord, we thank You. Human life is the same as it was in David's time. There's always been people who are wicked, undeserving of grace and prosperity. Always been this way throughout human history. And we sometimes wonder why He was a righteous God would do that. But you've got a reason for it. We don't know why. But we can take comfort in the fact that you're a God who's cared enough for us to send your Son into the world to rescue us from ourselves. Rescue us from the wickedness in this world. And that uh, you're a God that uh, is there to help. To take upon us the burdens of our own soul, our own emotions. And that you're a God that wants to take care of those things. And that you're a God who can empower us to do good. Even in the midst of people and a generation that may not be doing right. So God, we're thankful for You being our God. You give us something to focus on. Something to focus on that the world does not have. To give us rest and peace, comfort and security. May we take advantage, the privilege of finding our rest in You and keep ourselves from burning ourselves up with what's going on in the world around us. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.